Hello, I'm Regina Botras and this is Backstage, where we talk with the who's who on stage, in dance, comedy and performing arts, speaking with the leading theatre makers of our times and how they came to the stage and what drives them and inspires them. We are in the festival mode this week. Welcome back to 2023. Coming up, I will be talking with one of the dancers from Neighbours, a production that's on this week. Trisha Stars will be talking with the director from Work It, an acrobatic comedy romp. I'll also play a little something from the production Tracker, which is sure to be an outstanding production from Australian Dance Theatre. And finally, Angela Stretch had a chat with Mary Finister, who is the composer from Antarctica, which was on last week as part of the festival. So stick around, so much to hear. Daniel Riley is a Wiradjuri man and the artistic director of Australian Dance Theatre and the director of the Sydney Festival show Tracker, on this week at the Carriage Works. The cast is all First Nations and the story is based on his great-great-uncle who was a tracker for the police early last century. Here's Daniel describing one of the stories his great-great-uncle helped to break. Uh, As a case of Roy Governor. So Roy Governor was a black fella um, and Uncle Alec, you know, was... Um, tasked with tracking him Um, and so that's a really interesting idea this idea of you know and and then there's a lot of kind of I guess history and kind of rhetoric especially in our communities about like oh no black trackers they were only just you know they were um, sellouts they were out to you know track our own kind and lock them up and it's like well you know it's incredibly kind of short-sighted I think that kind of a concept or that kind of thinking around these cases Um, you know Uncle Alec hilariously um the family told me would always if he was tasked with tracking mob he would lead them the wrong direction (laughs) which i think is hilarious um because obviously the police force wouldn't know they were just trusting him you know um so he would kind of leave them clues to be like no no go like go that way um but roy governor was one of um one of the governor brothers which is the inspiration for the chant of jimmy blacksmith story um and so there is you know uh, there is an incredible kind of here a famous bush ranger story yeah very famous kind of bush ranger story uh, here in australia yeah first nations yeah aboriginal australian story um and you know roy incredibly kind of complex character and i think that's that's something that i don't feel like I could like this is where it could have been kind of operatic you know it could have been tracker and it could have been like the first movement could have been uncle alec and then the second could be roy and then it could be this like whoa these two black men both like same story the same same people just different sides of the fence you know one chose to work with and one chose to work against um you know but roy even he you know he got uncle alec eventually caught him through incredible kind of determination you know he found after many months of tracking him, he just couldn't quite understand like how, because Roy was an incredible tracker. So Uncle was in a way tracking nothing. He was tracking a ghost. He was tracking someone who knew what Uncle Alec was looking for. So it's this incredible story. Um, and eventually he found like the finest fibers of wool on fence posts. And eventually Uncle Alec had figured out that Roy was wrapping his feet in wool to not leave tracks. 
like it's just incredible and then like fibers like i'm talking like a couple of hairs um and so he eventually did catch him um and 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 he went he got locked up for a little bit he served the police for a little bit too um roy um from my understanding um tracked for the police force for a little bit as well um so it's incredibly that's a whole other complex story that plays out through the work in little bits and pieces um and then there's a kind of a moment at the end where archie modern day archie realizes you know because he, he's kind of wrestling he's wrestling with this idea of like well, why are you tracking mob why are you doing that and you know what we realize he's not angry at uncle alec he's angry at the system that forced and that enforced uncle alec to do that and then is enforcing us as first peoples to live ways that don't align with us um yeah so that's another really incredibly complex story that plays out in Traco. And Tracker is on as part of Sydney Festival. My guest is Brigal Jorka. He's an Albanian contemporary dancer and choreographer dancing in Neighbours with Rubber Legs from the UK. He trained at the National Ballet School in Tirana as well as international schools across Europe and has performed at Netherlands Dance Theatre as well as other prestigious places across Europe. Together, this duo have created a performance which sees a new choreographic language form. It's on at Sydney Festival from tomorrow evening, that's the 12th to the 15th only. And Neighbours is a genuine conversation created between these two with Forsyth, the ex-director of Ballet Frankfurt, to live music. Please welcome Briegel. Hello, pleased to be here. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. So first of all, tell me about Neighbours. It's a journey that started in 2019. That's where we made our first half of the show where Ralph and I met uh, from William Forsyth and dancing together. This where we discovered uh, during the creation process, of course, we went through different practices uh, of the choreography. And that's where we started to spark, I would say, and connect with each other. And Bill Forsyth was, I would say, the one who started this project as he was very curious to see what the two of us would do together. And what is that conversation, I suppose, or the styles that are meeting? We have different backgrounds, uh, Ralph and I. Ralph comes from breaking and uh, is a self-taught uh, artist. So, and I come from ballet and contemporary dance, migrated through different companies and different styles, which makes me to see what my perception of dance world is. So we made this first duet in silence because we didn't want to be distracted and focused only on vocabulary, focused actually on discovering what it is to be with somebody else that has uh, not the same, doesn't come from the same background as you. And uh, what can that conversation be? So uh, we wanted to we wanted to make a piece where was about a meeting, like finding a common ground where where both styles would blend together and uh, and have this uh, I would say have this wide conversation. It sounds what an interesting way to start because music is so much part of dance the world it's sort of and it it informs so much taking that away what did you find that came out through 
dancing without music. I know in this show you do have live music, but what happened when you took out the music and it was just bodies? Dance doesn't need particularly to be on music. Uh, humans and dancers, artists in the case, they are instruments. They, are, they play music with their own body as we breathe. Uh, we have tapping and uh, the, the, the noises that we make on stage. So just by seeing one body moving, uh, the one that is uh, watching it can make his own, can follow the musicality of, of the artist, of the dancer doing. So dance does not need particular music to be, to be a dance piece. Also, like having music, music influence, like has a tendency to influence so much on our, uh, on our own uh, willing to see something or it triggers out memories. Or So we wanted to erase that and start in a, and a white page, start a new page where we don't have any distraction, we don't have any music, any props or any costumes, any lighting. That's how we decided like to focalize only on the vocabulary where uh, both of us with more than 20, 20 years of experience in dancing uh, would meet. Wow. But in this performance, you have brought music, live music in. so. How is the music working in this show? Is the music responding to your bodies now? So uh, Rushan, who is our composer and musician for the second act of, of the show, uh, was introduced. He, I would say like he corresponded mostly of, of, uh, of the mood or the sounds that we were looking for to introduce. Say we were open to the idea of having music and take a journey with that. Uh, we spent a lot of time together on knowing each other, trying different, uh, trying different sounds and track, experimenting something that could lead into a journey that had also some part of our personal, uh, I would say, personal historical background somehow, like through memories and uh, things which uh, we have lived in our life. So that's how Rushan composed after. So it was, a, I would say it was a dialogue in three and that he was also influenced by our dancing and uh, vice versa. So vice versa, this conversation, yeah, blended together after. Yeah. So what are some of those personal memories that come out for you in this work? Uh, Ralph and I, so Ralph has Kurdish roots and I'm Albanian, but we both come from a part of the world, uh, that area where we share common and traditional, I would say, things which we have lived uh, in our, I would say, like family celebration or uh, religious, uh, I would say, aspects of our cultures. So neighbors is somebody who is very close to you, can, but uh, also can be your brother, can be your father. So it's kind of this kind of a relationship of somebody who is very close to you. That's why uh, this, uh, this relationship, we say we named it neighbors because we really felt close to each other like I know Ralph for a few years now but I have the impression that we know each other for like for a lifetime because of these backgrounds that he that he has and uh, uh, as myself too so uh, yeah this the the relationship of neighbors somebody somebody as I said somebody that is close to you that is looking after you is there some bigger thing that you're saying about this conversation 
is there something about relationships? It's about offering. It's about generosity. It's about being there and playing, uh, having fun. Uh, to to humans uh, that are having fun, to 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 kids that are having fun, to men that that are having fun, looking after each other. It's about celebrating. It's like a celebration. It sounds also like because dance is such a physical language and we talk a lot through our bodies, the removing talking, a different language created through the work. Absolutely. I mean, dance, body, spe- body speaks for itself. You know, uh, you do, you, uh, the body language is the best language. Uh, through You don't need to speak uh, somebody's language even without speaking somebody's language with your body language you can make yourself uh, understand so dance is a it's a i would say it's a masterpiece on this Brigel, thank you so much for joining me and talking with me about neighbors thank you so much it was a pleasure to be here Brigel Dorka there the albanian contemporary dancer talking about neighbors which is on this week as part of sydney festival Tomorrow till Saturday, get along and see it. It just looks wonderful. Trisha Stars here from Stages to SER, and I have with me today Malia Walsh, who is the director of the wonderful Work It, which is being performed right now at the Seymour Centre for the Sydney Festival. Welcome to the show, Malia. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. So Work It looks so fun. It looks uh, very sort of 90s and, as you say, a bit Spice Girls, a, a, a bit clueless. <laughs> so it, it is a circus show, isn't it? But it has a theme. Is that right? A 90s kind of theme? Well, it's a circus comedy cabaret, really. It's um, a 90s theme around the whole notion of working and working it. So we work out, we work nine to five. We do tradie work, we do blue collar, we do white collar, all the while in various kinds of lycra. It's full energy, great soundtrack, lots of laughs and tricks that you've never seen before. Like the acrobats we have on stage for Sydney Festival are some of the best in the world. Oh, great, because I saw that you've got the strong woman Cassia uh, Jamison. Uh, so she she can balance a whole human on her head, is that right? <laughs> she can balance a whole human on her head, and then when we stand on her shoulders, she can balance five people. The whole the whole entire she literally carries the whole cast on her shoulders. That is amazing. How long have I have seen a few strong women in the past, but how long have they been around? Because it used to be like always strong men would hold people in the circus, didn't they? Well, I think there's always been strong women in the circus. That's um, my love and passion for the circus comes. It's like it doesn't matter what shape you are, what gender you are, what you love and what you don't love. There's always a place for you in circus. That's sort of the tradition of it, you know, the freaks and geeks on the side and and circus would be, you know, if you if you've got, you know, I've 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 seen people in wheelchairs do an aerial act, you know, with their wheelchair just strapped to their legs. I've seen, you know, small small petite women carry people on their shoulders. I've seen big boys who just want to like glide through the air. You know, it's um, whatever your body shape is 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 really lends itself to circus, and that makes it a better spectacle. And that's why it's so interesting to watch circus because. All of the bodies are so different and so exciting and so wonderful. 
Yeah, I love that too. And work it. So work it means that you're doing some working out, sort of aerobics and that sort of thing. (laughs) Yes, we have a little workout section to pump up the jam and it is just as much fun to perform as it is to watch Um, the body rolls, the booty, hip thrusting, um, the stretching, the leg warmers, you know, it's, it's all there, the headbands, you know, it's it's a lot of fun. And then we just throw each other in the air and hope that the other acrobats catch each other. <laughs> we always do. We always do. It's okay. <laughs> and so you've also got uh, Vincent Van Berkel um, and he's uh, bringing the swag apparently to all of the uh, acts that he's in. What, what sort of stuff does Vincent do? Vincent is is the most amazing mover and groover and he just he can pose like nobody's business but then he'll do backflips off you know the most ridiculous things and he's the one that balances on Cassia's head he is incredibly um flexible and you know muscular and handsome and gorgeous and he just kicks high kicks his way and you know, body rolls across the stage like nobody's business. He's such a stunner to watch. Oh, that's a, oh gosh. And Richard Sullivan. So uh, he has a iconic moustache. Is that correct? Is that true? <laughs> he does have an iconic moustache and he is also stunning and beautiful. He's um, one of the world's best jugglers. He does, you know, when you go and see a juggling acting and they throw the balls in the air, it's all very exciting, but he does it in time with the music and which is just so incredible to see and it really gives you an idea of, the the absolute perfection and precision of his art form we actually did a show (laughs) we did work it in adelaide and i was also producing a children's show and the kiddo magazine got a little bit mixed up which show i wanted to review so they came to the adult show and (laughs) so we've got this great review from kiddo magazine that we cannot use because it says richard is the hottest juggler i have ever seen five stars kiddo magazine so it's um it's a beautiful review and a wonderful compliment for him, but uh, it's not not child appropriate. <laughs> no, it's not child appropriate. There's there's all sorts of smash and fabulousness all across. But this, of course, is uh is for the grown ups. Work it, isn't it? So it's uh it's a bit of a grown up circus, or are kids invited as well? No, it's a grown up circus. It's for sixteen plus. There's you know adult themes and tongue in cheek and you know, a lot of like risque stuff, but it's not, it's not too much. It's just work. It is a, a great night out. It's a great night for a date. It's a great night to take somebody new. It's a great girls night out. Actually, we're a female led company and we're all very powerful, wonderful women involved in the company. So it's, um, but, but, you know, not for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it sounds so fun. Uh, <laughs> and I had to ask you, uh, Malia, um, I have to ask you about the time that you performed for Mick Jagger. <laughs> yes, I performed for Mick Jagger. Oh, it was probably about 10 years ago. We had just finished this amazing season at the Edinburgh um, Fringe Festival and it was our first time there and I, like, we were exhausted by the end of it. And this wonderful little man came up to us and he's like, you're, you're fabulous, darlings, you're fabulous. I've got to show for you. You have to stay a week. You have to stay a week, darlings. And I, was, I said, absolutely not. And he's like, you have to, you have to. And the thing that got me is he said, you'll be performing for Mick Jagger there. So um, I did. We, we did our show and, and, and we did our acrobatic act, which was, again, throwing me up in the air and catching me. We did it all all perfectly without fault. And at the end of it, I went up to him and I said, 
Thank you so much for watching. And it was such an honor to perform for you. And he told me that I was fabulous. And I will, I will, I will forever, forever remember his gratitude and his, his lovely, enormous smile. It was a highlight of my performative life. Yeah, definitely. Uh, wow, that's so exciting. I'm sure you've got a whole lot more highlights coming, though. Uh, it's like nothing I've ever performed before. On our debut season, we didn't quite... We hadn't really rehearsed the show or anything and we were getting standing ovations on a Wednesday night, you know, it was raining outside. There was just, every, the, there's something about the show that just creates this wonderful electricity throughout the whole theatre and you can't help but smile and be excited and and have a really good time and celebrate life and I think that's something we all need after the last two years, isn't it? <laughs> it looks fantastic and it's running until the 22nd of January at Seymour Centre at the York Theatre, that's right. Oh, well, I really want to thank you, uh, Malia, for telling us all about the show and for putting the show on. Are you, and are you actually in the show because you're directing? I am. I'm a director performer, which is um, means my hands are very full. But it is when we started to create the show, it was so much fun that I just like weaved myself in there. I was like, I mean, <laughs> I want a hip thrust. This is I want to wear those costumes. Oh, my God. And I've got a sequin <laughs> leotard that's a G-string as well as my finale outfit you know with the amazing electric pink hot pants underneath yeah you you have to come and see me afterwards to get a free headband sweatband which is what we're selling for merch of course oh <laughs> yes yes i need one my old one's gotten really ratty so much malia for uh telling us all about work it which i said again is at the seymour center until the 22nd of january uh, it sounds fantastic uh please don't miss it because it's just a limited season and it's been so great talking to you on uh, tour CR stages. Thanks so much, Malia. Thanks so much for having me. Buy tickets quick because they are selling fast. Well, reporter Angela Stretch interviewed the composer of Antarctica, which was on last week for Sydney Festival. Here's a section of her interview with the composer, Mary Finisterra. This opera comes at a point in my journey as a composer where I'm looking at large-scale frameworks, if you like, of music. So this is the second opera that I've actually done and my collaborator is writer Tom Wright. And so we decided after our first opera that we would venture into an area we, we actually didn't think of Antarctica in the first instance but it was like a journey to to arrive at the point where we would venture on this terrain if you like. After the first opera we were looking for subject matter that would bring to surface all of the different elements that we were fascinated with through language, history, literature, scientific reference, the you know what I love about working with Tom is that we bring a multiplicity of layers into the work and through metaphor and imagery and musical reference, we're able to then um, work through those different areas and pathways to arrive at a unified structure. And so we started out on this journey with a, looking at a map that I discovered, uh, it's called the Piri Rees map. The Piri Rees map is about 500 years old 
And the interesting thing about the Piri-Reis map is that it actually uh, gives the impression of what is the landmass of Antarctica. So looking at it, you have a distinct impression of the shape of Antarctica. The interesting fact about that is that Antarctica itself was only circumnavigated in 1820. So this brought about a whole, a fascinating um, investigation into the map itself, but also pointed to the subject matter of Antarctica itself. And through my role at the University of Tasmania, where I am the creative fellow in the College of Arts, Law and Education, I was able to then reach out to scientists in the university where we were then able to then communicate with them and learn a lot about the different scientific fields of Antarctica. I discovered a lot about it through this two-day forum which I organised with the scientists in IMAS, which is the um, Institute of Marine and Antarctic Studies in the University of Tasmania. This was an opportunity for Tom and I to embark on a process of investigation and we spent two days listening to and and uh, observing and examining data and all sorts of aspects around the uh, research of different scientists who affiliated with IMAS. After each presentation, we, Tom and I, would go and discuss the research itself and how it might be implemented into the opera. So the different aspects of the research of the scientists uh, finds its way into the opera through different pathways or if you like um, and um, so those are a specific inclusion of certain aspects of the science in the actual libretto itself so for instance in the opera there's a chorus called the underwaterfall and this refers to a specific scientific phenomena that occurs in winter in Antarctica's ice shelves, they freeze. And as the water freezes, um, it pushes out many salt particles and it shoves them deeper and deeper into the ocean, making the water below the ice shelf increasingly dense and saltier. This cold, salty water sinks to the bottom of the ocean and falling into the abyss in an un- in what look like underwater waterfalls. So it's a spectacular phenomenon where if you can imagine all of this salt, which literally is just falling to the bottom of the ocean and what looks like waterfalls. And so in referring to that, it's bringing to the audience and um, it's, it's actually putting on display, I guess. What I think is a, is, a, is really beautiful, uh, one of nature's miracles where we can actually understand more about these happenings that are underneath the surface of the, the water that we might never know about. So that's just one reference. There's another chorus called the salp and the krill, which refers to microfauna. Um, the salp are a particular organism. They resemble They look like jellyfish, if you like, and the krill have these shell-like structures. And so um, the scientists are actively involved in looking at the behaviour of these particular types of microfauna and what their roles are in the food chain 
leading up to, you know, the macrofauna, the seals and the whales and so forth. So they're, lo they're looking at the behaviour of those particular microfauna and also if in the instance there is a change in the climate, how that might impact on, on those different types of microfauna and the effect of that on the food chain. So um, because there was a particular reference to that with one of the scientists at the uh, forum at the university, Tom and I decided we would build a chorus and so the material for the salp is quite different and juxtaposed against the, the krill. They act like a counterpoint, if you like. So we're able to bring that to the stage as another aspect of what is this very rich life in the second polar of Antarctica. And that was the composer Mary Finisterra there. Angela Stretch bought that story for stages. Thanks, Ange. And you can catch the whole interview on talkingthroughyourarts.com.au. Well, that's it from stages. I'm Regina Botros. Thanks to everyone for the show this week. Trisha Stars, all my guests, Angela Stretch, a special story. Stages has been jam-packed with a festival show. Get out there and see some theatre and enjoy your festival. 